Act Five of Miss Sarah Sampson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Miss Sarah Sampson, A Tragedy in Five Acts, by G. E. Lessing. Act Five. Scene One. Sarah's room. Sarah reclining in an armchair, and Betty. Do you feel a little better, miss? Better. I wish only that Mellifont would return. You have sent for him, have you not? Norton and the landlord have gone for him. Norton is a good fellow, but he is rash. I do not want him by any means to be rude to his master on my account. According to his story, Mellifont is innocent of all this. She follows him. What can he do? She storms, she raves, she tries to murder him. Do you see, Betty, I have exposed him to this danger? Who else but me? And the wicked Marwood at last insisted on seeing me or she would not return to London. Could he refuse her this trifling request? Have not I too often been curious to see Marwood? Mellifont knows well that we are curious creatures. And if I had not insisted myself that she should remain with me until his return, he would have taken her away with him. I should have seen her under a false name, without knowing that I had seen her. And I should perhaps have been pleased with this little deception at some future time. In short, it is all my fault. Well, well, I was frightened, nothing more. The swoon was nothing. You know, Betty, I am subject to such fits. But I had never seen you in so deep a swoon before. Do not tell me so, please. I must have caused you a good deal of trouble, my good girl. Marwood herself seemed moved by your danger. In spite of all I could do, she would not leave the room until you had opened your eyes a little and I could give you the medicine. After all, I must consider it fortunate that I swooned. For who knows what more I should have had to hear from her. She certainly can hardly have followed me into my room without a purpose. You cannot imagine how terrified I was. The dreadful dream I had last night recurred to me suddenly, and I fled like an insane woman who does not know why and whither she flies. But Mellifont does not come. Ah! What a sigh, miss! What convulsions! God! What sensation was this? What was that? Nothing, Betty. A pain. Not one pain, a thousand burning pains in one. But do not be uneasy. It is over now. Scene two. Mellifont will be here in a moment. That is well, Norton. But where did you find him? A stranger had enticed him beyond the town gate, where he said a gentleman waited for him, to speak with him about matters of the greatest importance. After taking him from place to place for a long time, the swindler slunk away from him. It will be bad for him if he lets himself be caught. Mellifont is furious. Did you tell him what has happened? All. But in such a way? I could not think about the way. Enough. He knows what anxiety his imprudence has again caused you. Not so, Norton. I have caused it myself. Why may Mellifont never be in the wrong? Come in, sir. Love has already excused you. Scene three. Ah, Sarah, if this love of yours were not. Then I should certainly be the unhappier of the two. If nothing more vexatious has happened to you in your absence than to me, I am happy. I have not deserved to be so kindly received. Let my weakness be my excuse that I do not receive you more tenderly. If only for your sake, I would that I was well again. Ah, Marwood, 
this treachery too the scoundrel who led me with a mysterious air from one street to another can assuredly have been a messenger of her only see dearest sarah she employed this artifice to get me away from you a clumsy artifice certainly but just from its very clumsiness i was far from taking it for one she shall have a reward for this treachery quick norton go to her lodging do not lose sight of her and detain her until i come what for Meliphant? i intercede for marwood go exit norton scene four pray let the wearied enemy who has ventured the last fruitless assault retire in peace without marwood i should be ignorant of much much what is the much what you would not have told me Meliphant. you start well, I will forget it again, since you do not wish me to know it. I hope that you will not believe any ill of me which has no better foundation than the jealousy of an angry slanderer. More of this another time. But why do you not tell me first of all about the danger in which your precious life was placed? I, Meliphant, I should have been the one who had sharpened the sword with which Marwood had stabbed you. The danger was not so great. Maud was driven by blind passion, and I was cool, so her attack could not but fail. I only wish that she may not have been more successful with another attack. Upon Sarah's good opinion of her Meliphant, I must almost fear it. No, dearest Sarah, do not conceal from me any longer what you have learned from her. Well, if I had still had the least doubt of your love, Meliphant, Marwood in her anger would have removed it. She surely must feel that through me she has lost that which is of the greatest value to her, for an uncertain loss would have let her act more cautiously. I shall soon learn to set some store by her bloodthirsty jealousy, her impetuous insolence, her treacherous cunning. But, Sarah, you wish again to evade my question and not to reveal to me. I will, and what I said was indeed a step towards it. That Meliphant loves me, then, is undeniably certain. If only I had not discovered that his love lacked a certain confidence, which would be as flattering to me as his love itself. In short, dearest Meliphant, why does a sudden anxiety make it so difficult for me to speak? Well, I suppose I shall have to tell it without seeking for the most prudent form in which to say it. Marwood mentioned a pledge of love, and the talkative Norton—forgive him, pray— told me a name, a name, Meliphant, which must rouse in you another tenderness than that which you feel for me. Is it possible? Has the shameless woman confessed her own disgrace? Alas, Sarah, have pity on my confusion. Since you already know all, why do you wish to hear it again from my lips? She shall never come into your sight. The unhappy child, who has no other fault than that of having such a mother— you love her, then, in spite of all? Too much, Sarah, too much for me to deny it. Ah, oh, Meliphant, how I too love you for this very love's sake! You would have offended me deeply if you had denied the sympathy of your blood for any scruples on my account. You have hurt me already, in that you have threatened me never to let her come into my sight. No, Meliphant, that you will never forsake Arabella must be one of the promises which you vow to me in presence of the Almighty. In the hands of her mother she is in danger of becoming unworthy of her father. Use your authority over both, and let me take the place of Marwood. 
Do not refuse me the happiness of bringing up for myself a friend who owes her life to you, a Meliphant of my own sex. Happy days, when my father, when you, when Arabella will vie in your calls on my filial respect, my confiding love, my watchful friendship. Happy days! But alas, they are still far distant in the future, and perhaps even the future knows nothing of them, perhaps they exist only in my own desire for happiness. Sensations, Meliphant, sensations which I never before experienced turned my eyes to another prospect, a dark prospect, with awful shadows. What sensations are these? Puts her hand before her face. What sudden change from exultation to terror? Hasten, Betty, bring help. What ails you, generous Sarah? Divine soul, why does this jealous hand? Moving it away. Hide these sweet looks from me. Are there looks which unwillingly betray cruel pain? And yet this hand is jealous to hide these looks from me. Shall I not share your pain with you? Unhappy man, that I can only share it, that I may not feel it alone. Hasten, Betty. Whither shall I hasten? You see, and yet ask, for help. Stay, it passes over. I will not frighten you again, Meliphant. What has happened to her, Betty? These are not merely the results of a swoon. Scene 5 You are back again already, Norton? That is well. You will be of more use here. Marwood is gone. And my curses follow her. She is gone? Whither? May misfortune and death, and were it possible, a whole hell lie in her path. May heaven thunder a consuming fire upon her. May the earth burst open under her, and swallow the greatest of female monsters. As soon as she returned to her lodgings, she threw herself into her carriage, together with Arabella and her maid, and hurried away at full gallop. This sealed note was left behind for you. Meliphant, taking the note. It is addressed to me. Shall I read it, Sarah? When you are calmer, Meliphant. Calmer? Can I be calmer before I have revenged myself on her, and before I know that you are out of danger, dearest Sarah? Let me not hear of revenge. Revenge is not ours. But you open the letter. Alas, Meliphant, why are we less prone to certain virtues with a healthy body which feels its strength than with a sick and wearied one? How hard are gentleness and moderation to you, and how unnatural to me appears the impatient heat of passion. Keep the contents for yourself alone. What spirit is it that seems to compel me to disobey you? I opened it against my will, and against my will I must read it. Sarah, whilst Meliphant reads to himself. How cunningly man can disunite his nature, and make of his passions another being than himself, on whom he can lay the blame for that which in cold blood he disapproves. The water, Betty, I fear another shock, and shall need it. Do you see what effect the unlucky note has on him? Meliphant, you lose your senses, Meliphant. God, he is stunned. Here, Betty, hand him the water, he needs it more than I. Meliphant pushing Betty back. Back, unhappy girl, your medicines are poison. What do you say? Recover yourself, you do not recognize her. I am Betty. Take it. Wish, rather, unhappy girl, that you were not she. Quick, fly, before, in default of the guilty one, you become the guilty victim of my rage. What words? 
Melifont, dearest Melifont. The last, dearest Melifont, from these divine lips, and then no more for ever. At your feet, Sarah. Throwing himself down. But why at your feet? Springing up again. Disclose it? I disclose it to you? Yes, I will tell you that you will hate me, that you must hate me. You shall not hear the contents, no, not from me, but you will hear them, you will... Why do you all stand here, stock still, doing nothing? Run, Norton, bring all the doctors. Seek help, Betty, let your help be as effective as your error. No, stop here, I will go myself. Whither, Melifont? Help for what? Of what error do you speak? Divine help, Sarah, or inhuman revenge. You are lost, dearest Sarah, I too am lost. Would the world were lost with us? Scene 6 He is gone. I am lost. What does he mean? Do you understand him, Norton? I am ill, very ill. But suppose the worst, that I must die. Am I therefore lost? And why does he blame you, poor Betty? You wring your hands. Do not grieve. You cannot have offended him. He will bethink himself. Had he only done as I wished and not read the note, he could have known that it must contain the last poisoned words from Marwood. What terrible suspicion! No, it cannot be. I do not believe it. Your father's old servant, miss. Let him come in, Norton. Scene 7 I suppose you are anxious for my answer, dear Waitwell. It is ready except a few lines. But why so alarmed? They must have told you that I am ill. And more still. Dangerously ill? I conclude so from Melifont's passionate anxiety more than from my own feelings. Suppose, Waitwell, you should have to go with an unfinished letter from your unhappy Sarah to her still more unhappy father. Let us hope for the best. Will you wait until tomorrow? Perhaps I shall find a few good moments to finish off the letter to your satisfaction. At present I cannot do so. This hand hangs as if dead by my benumbed side. If the whole body dies away as easily as these limbs. You are an old man, Waitwell, and cannot be far from the last scene. Believe me, if that which I feel is the approach of death, then the approach of death is not so bitter. Ah! Do not mind this sigh. Wholly without unpleasant sensation it cannot be. Man could not be void of feeling. He must not be impatient. But Betty, why are you so inconsolable? Permit me, miss. Permit me to leave you. Go. I well know it is not every one who can bear to be with the dying. Waitwell shall remain with me. And you, Norton, will do me a favour if you go and look for your master. I long for his presence. Betty, going. Alas, Norton, I took the medicine from Marwood's hands. Scene 8 Wait well. If you will do me the kindness to remain with me, you must not let me see such a melancholy face. You are mute. Speak, I pray. And if I may ask it, speak of my father. Repeat all the comforting words which you said to me a few hours ago. Repeat them to me. And tell me, too, that the eternal Heavenly Father cannot be less merciful. I can die with that assurance, can I not? Had this befallen me before your arrival, how would I have fared? I should have despaired, Waitwell. 
to leave this world burdened with the hatred of him who belies his nature when he is forced to hate what a thought tell him that i died with the feelings of the deepest remorse gratitude and love tell him alas that i shall not tell him myself how full my heart is of all the benefits i owe to him my life was the smallest among them would that i could yield up at his feet the ebbing portion yet remaining do you really wish to see him miss at length you speak to doubt my deepest my last desire where shall i find the words which i have so long been vainly seeking a sudden joy is as dangerous as a sudden terror i fear only that the effect of his unexpected appearance might be too violent for so tender a heart what do you mean the unexpected appearance of whom of the wished-for one compose yourself scene nine you stay too long wait well i must see her whose voice oh my daughter oh my father help me to rise waitwell help me to rise that i may throw myself at his feet she endeavours to rise and falls back again into the armchair is it he or is it an apparition sent from heaven like the angel who came to strengthen the strong one bless me whoever thou art whether a messenger from the highest in my father's form or my father himself god bless thee my daughter keep quiet she tries again to throw herself at his feet. Another time when you have regained your strength, I shall not be displeased to see you clasp my faltering knees. Now, my father, or never, soon I shall be no more. I shall be only too happy if I still have a few moments to reveal my heart to you. But not moments, whole days, another life would be necessary to tell all that a guilty, chastened, and repentant daughter can say to an injured but generous and loving father. My offence, and your forgiveness. Do not reproach yourself for your weakness, nor give me credit for that which is only my duty. When you remind me of my pardon, you remind me also of my hesitation in granting it. Why did I not forgive you at once? why did i reduce you to the necessity of flying from me and this very day when i had already forgiven you what was it that forced me to wait first for an answer from you i could already have enjoyed a whole day with you if i had hastened at once to your arms some latent spleen must still have lain in the innermost recesses of my disappointed heart that I wished first to be assured of the continuance of your love before I gave you mine again. Ought a father to act so selfishly? Ought we only to love those who love us? Chide me, dearest Sarah, chide me. I thought more of my own joy in you than of you yourself. And if I were now to lose this joy, but who then says that I must lose it? You will live, you will still live long. Banish all these black thoughts. Elephant magnifies the danger. He put the whole house in an uproar and hurried away himself to fetch the doctors whom he probably will not find in this miserable place. I saw his passionate anxiety, his hopeless sorrow, without being seen by him. Now I know that he loves you sincerely. 
Now I do not grudge him you any longer. I will wait here for him and lay your hand in his. What I would otherwise have done only by compulsion, I now do willingly, since I see how dear you are to him. Is it true that it was Marwood herself who caused you this terror? I could understand this much from your Betty's lamentations, but nothing more. But why do I inquire into the causes of your illness when I ought only to be thinking how to remedy it? I see you growing fainter. Every moment I see it and stand here helplessly. What shall I do, Waitwell? Whither shall I run? What shall I give her? My fortune? My life? Speak! Dearest father, all help would be in vain. The dearest help purchased with your life would be of no avail. Scene 10 Do I dare to set my foot again in this room? Is she still alive? Step nearer, Maliphant. Am I to see your face again? No, Sarah, I return without consolation, without help. Despair alone brings me back. But whom do I see? You, sir? Unhappy father, you have come to a dreadful scene. Why did you not come sooner? You are too late to save your daughter. But be comforted. You shall not have come too late to see yourself revenged. Do not remember in this moment, Maliphant, that we have ever been at enmity. We are so no more, and we shall never be so again. Only keep my daughter for me, and you shall keep a wife for yourself. Make me a god, and then repeat your prayer. I have brought so many misfortunes to you already, Sarah, that I do not hesitate to announce the last one. You must die. And do you know by whose hand you die? I do not wish to know it. That I can suspect it is already too much. You must know it, for who could be assured that you did not suspect wrongly? Marwood writes thus. He reads. When you read this letter, Melifont, your infidelity will already be punished in its cause. I had made myself known to her, and she had swooned with terror. Betty did her utmost to restore her to consciousness. I saw her taking out a soothing powder, and the happy idea occurred to me of exchanging it for a poisonous one. I feigned to be moved, and anxious to help her, and prepared the draught myself. I saw it given to her, and went away triumphant. Revenge and rage have made me a murderess, but I will not be like a common murderess, who does not venture to boast of her deed. I am on my way to Dover. You can pursue me, and let my own handwriting bear witness against me. If I reach the harbour unpursued, I will leave Arabella behind unhurt. Till then I shall look upon her as a hostage. Marwood. Now you know all, Sarah. Here, sir, preserve this paper. You must bring the murderess to punishment, and for this it is indispensable. How motionless he stands! Give me this paper, Melifont. I will convince myself with my own eyes. He hands it to her, and she looks at it for a moment. Shall I still have sufficient strength? Tears it. What are you doing, Sarah? Marwood will not escape her fate, but neither you nor my father shall be her accusers. I die, and forgive the hand through which God chastens me. Alas, my father, what gloomy grief has taken hold of you? I love you still, Melifont. And if loving you is a crime, how guilty shall I enter yonder world? 
Would I might hope, dearest father, that you would receive a son in place of a daughter, and with him you will have a daughter too, if you will acknowledge Arabella as such. You must fetch her back, Melifont. Her mother may escape. Since my father loves me, why should I not be allowed to deal with this love as with a legacy? I bequeath this fatherly love to you and Arabella. Speak now and then to her of a friend from whose example she may learn to be on her guard against love. A last blessing, my father. Who would venture to judge the ways of the highest? Console your master, Waitwell. But you too stand there in grief and despair, you who lose in me neither a lover nor a daughter. We are to be giving you courage, and your dying eyes are giving it to us. No more, my earthly daughter, half-angel already. Of what avail can the blessing of a mourning father be to a spirit upon whom all blessings of heaven flow? Leave me a ray of light which raises you so far above everything human, or pray to God who hears no prayer so surely as that of a pious and departing soul. Pray to him that this day may be the last of my life also. God must let the virtue which has been tested remain long in this world as an example. Only the weak virtue which would perhaps succumb to too many temptations is quickly raised above the dangerous confines of the earth. For whom do these tears flow, my father? They fall like fiery drops upon my heart. And yet, yet they are less terrible to me than mute despair. Conquer it, Maliphant. My eyes grow dim. That sigh was the last. But where is Betty? Now I understand the wringing of her hands. Poor girl, let no one reproach her with carelessness. It is excused by a heart without falsehood and without suspicion of it. The moment is come. Maliphant, my father— Dies. She dies. Ah, let me kiss this cold hand once more. Throwing himself at her feet. No, I will not venture to touch her. The old saying that the body of the slain bleeds at the touch of the murderer frightens me. And who is her murderer? Am I not he more than Marwood? Rises. She is dead now, sir. She does not hear us any more. Curse me now. Vent your grief in well-deserved curses. May none of them miss their mark, and may the most terrible be fulfilled twofold. Why do you remain silent? She is dead. She is certainly dead. Now again I am nothing but Melifont. I am no more the lover of a tender daughter whom you would have reason to spare in him. What is that? I do not want your compassionate looks. This is your daughter. I am her seducer. Bethink yourself, sir, in what way can I rouse your anger? This budding beauty, who was yours alone, became my prey. For my sake her innocent virtue was abandoned. For my sake she tore herself from the arms of her beloved father. For my sake she had to die. You make me impatient with your forbearance, sir. Let me see that you are a father. I am Father Maliphant, and too much of a father not to respect the last wish of my daughter. Let me embrace you, my son, for whom I could not have paid a higher price. Not so, sir. 
this angel enjoined more than human nature is capable of you cannot be my father behold sir drawing the dagger from his bosom this is the dagger which marwood drew upon me to-day to my misfortune i disarmed her had i fallen a guilty victim of her jealousy sarah would still be living you would have your daughter still and have her without mellifont it is not for me to undo what is done but to punish myself for it is still in my power <coughs> he stabs himself and sinks down at sarah's side hold him wait well what new blow upon my stricken head oh would that my own might make the third dying heart here mellifont dying i feel it i have not struck false if now you will call me your son and press my hand as such uh, i shall die in peace sir william embraces him you have heard of an arabella for whom sarah pleaded i should also plead for her but she is marwood's child as well as mine what strange feeling seizes me mercy oh creator mercy if the prayers of others are now of any avail wait well let us help him to pray for this mercy he dies alas he was more to pity than to blame scene eleven doctors sir if they can work miracles they may come in let me no longer remain at this deadly spectacle one grave shall enclose both come and make immediate preparations and then let us think of arabella be she who she may she is the legacy of my daughter exeunt end of act five end of miss sarah sampson by g e lessing translated by ernest a bell